Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Following God's will comes with challenges. It's God's grace that will see us through, but how much grace do we need? How much grace is enough? Join us now as we complete our journey through Acts chapter 21 and 22 with Cheryl Broderson. of Cheryl's message, The Power of Grace. Grace proclaims grace. Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem to proclaim God's grace to the leaders of the church there. We find that in Acts 21, 18 through 19, that Paul tells James and the brethren all the grace that God is doing among the Gentile believers all over the world. He talks about how God had showered his grace upon Paul and how God had showered his grace upon the Gentiles. The brethren are informed about Paul's, about Paul, and they let him know there's been misinformation that's been circulating around Jerusalem about you. There are those that say that you are teaching the Jews to forsake the law of Moses. And you are telling the Gentiles that the law of Moses has no place in their life. That was a perversion of Paul's teaching. Paul was teaching that you could not be saved by the law. That human effort, rules and regulations could not make you right with God. Only Jesus can make you right with God. But when you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and the spirit of grace, and you begin to obey by the power of grace, not by human effort. That's what Paul says to the Galatians. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live. By faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me. In other words, Paul says, it's God's grace now moving through me. I'm dead to the law. And yet by the grace of God, as I live in Christ, I'm obeying it. Because Jesus obeyed every iota of the law. And as we're in Christ, we are obeying. And it's God propelling us. So they had gotten misinformation about Paul. So the brethren advised Paul to demonstrate his respect for the law publicly by taking these four young men who have taken a vow and to pay their expenses or pay for their offerings, pay for their lambs so that they can offer these sacrifices and everybody will see Paul obeys the law. He obeys the law not by human effort, but by the Spirit of God working through him. As Paul would say in Romans chapter 9, I do not set aside the law of the Lord. I don't set it aside. I obey it, but it's by grace and not by human effort. Paul agrees. And seven days later, as Paul is in the temple, we're told that he is 
seen by Jews from Asia, those Jews that hounded him and followed him every place, who lied about him and slandered him. They see it and they assume that he is bringing a Gentile into the temple grounds because a week earlier, they had seen him with a Greek in Jerusalem. Now, here again, we have assumption, presumption, fear, conjecture, lying, mixed with distrust, leading to confusion and what? Chaos, absolute chaos. Because we find that there are those who are crying out, laying hands on Paul, and they begin to beat Paul. And the commander of the garrison comes with soldiers. He arrests Paul and he takes him to the barracks. But as Paul is going to the barracks, he says, excuse me, would you mind if I said a word to this, to this group of people? The commander says, wait, are you an Egyptian? Are you the one responsible for the insurrection and those 4,000 people being killed and you got away? And he's like, no, that's not me. Can I, can I talk to this crowd? And so the commander gives him permission. Paul motions with his hand and the whole mob, all that confusion, all that chaos is suddenly quiet. And when Paul begins to speak to them in the Hebrew language, they become even more quiet. You see, they're quiet before the proclamation of grace. And Paul begins to proclaim grace. Paul wants these people to know his testimony, what he was, and how he has been changed by grace. He wants to herald it. So Paul proclaims God's grace in his own life. He was fully a Jew like them. He was born in Tarsus, but educated in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. He was taught according to the strictness of the patriarch's law. He was zealous toward God. He was also hostile like them. He understood their hostility. He says, I'm not, I'm not judging you. I was just like you. I was hostile. I persecuted Christians to death. I bound and delivered men and women to prison. Perhaps this is part of the preparation for grace too. I was just like you. So I know. So I relate. He said, I served under the authority of the high priest and elders. And at one time I had letters of authority to bind Christians in Damascus. But then Paul wants to talk about his encounter with grace when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. So he tells them, I was in the same direction you're going in until I was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus, about to do my worst yet. And Jesus himself stopped me with a blinding light. My companions saw the light and they were afraid. And Jesus called out to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Here's the encounter that transformed Paul. And Paul says, you're about to do your worst to me. But you can have the same transforming encounter of grace. You see, grace wants to proclaim grace. Jesus directs Paul to go to Damascus to await further instructions. Paul, by this time, he's been transformed by grace. Ananias is afraid to lay hands on Paul, even though he's a devout Jew, even though he's obeyed the law. He's saying to the Lord, Lord, I've heard about this man. He has done much harm to your church and to other Christians. But God is telling Ananias, Paul has been transformed by grace. He's now safe. 
where he was a bully, where he was dangerous, where he was a threat. Now he's been transformed by grace. Ananias is told to lay his hands on Saul. And as he lays his hands on Saul, he says, the God of our fathers. Again, here's this association with the Jews, the same fathers we share, those same patriarchs, has chosen you that you should know his will, see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And at that moment, Paul received his sight, cleansing from sin, forgiveness of past sins, and a commission from God to proclaim Jesus. He received grace. So Paul was encountered by grace. Paul was transformed by grace. Paul received grace, and this is the grace that Paul wanted to proclaim. He wanted to proclaim it to the Gentiles. He wanted to proclaim it to the Jews at Jerusalem. But as he was praying, the Holy Spirit spoke to him, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. The Lord spoke to him and said, Paul, I know you want to proclaim grace but they will not receive it. Now, Paul wants to convince the Lord otherwise. Have you ever tried to convince the Lord otherwise? Paul says, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then the Lord says to him, it's not gonna work, Paul. You need to depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. You're going to proclaim grace to the Gentiles beyond the border of Israel. Now, those who receive grace want to proclaim it, especially if you have a testimony. You want to proclaim the transforming power of Jesus Christ. It's just in us. We can't wait. John Newton wanted to proclaim grace. He had been a slave trader. God had changed him. He then, after the transformation, worked for the emancipation of slavery. But he wrote Amazing Grace. Billy Sunday, who had been a ruffian, a bad guy, and became an evangelist in the United States, he used to say that God can save to the guttermost all that come to him. D.L. Moody wanted to proclaim grace. When you know and feel and receive grace, you want to proclaim grace. I was on the East Coast and I did a Bible study. And after I did the Bible study, I thought, I just didn't say it right. It, it wasn't the right, oh, you know, I, I blew it. I had so much to say. You know, when you have a great word and you feel like, Lord, you needed a better vessel, you know, and that was just how I felt so like condemned. And I was walking down the hall and these two older women go, we know you're condemned. We've been praying for you. Get over it. And, you know, walked by. I was like, thank you very much. So the next year I was asked to do this. I was asked to do this conference down in Florida. And so when they called me up, I was living in England at the time. I'm like, why me? And they said, that Bible study that you gave at the East Coast Pastor's Wives, we show it to all our potential leadership. It's the best Bible study ever. 
I'm like, you're kidding me. I have never felt so condemned over a Bible study, except for a couple weeks ago when I talked about the Chihuahua, ever in my whole entire life. Arf. I just, I don't know why I did that, you know? (laughs) And they're like, no, no. And so I went and I, I spoke at that church and, you know, God blessed it. And the next year, the very pastor's wife that invited me, she spoke at the East Coast Pastor's Wives Conference. And as I was walking down the hallway, I saw her crying in the hallway. And these women were around her comforting her. And I was like, oh my goodness, she's condemned over that Bible study she did, just like I was. And God used it. I have to proclaim grace to her. I have to proclaim grace over her. And and the person I was with was like, come on, come on. I'm like, no, I have to proclaim grace for this moment I was born. It was just like so incredible to tell her, no, I know exactly how you feel. And let me let you know that God is going to use this. He will use those times when you think I blew it so bad. (laughs) Talking about Chihuahua. God will use it. For glory. When you are touched by grace, you know what you want? You want everyone to be touched by grace. Isn't that the truth? You want to tell them about the grace that God showed you, the grace that prepared you, the grace that propelled you. That's the grace you want to proclaim. In 1 Timothy 1, 14 through 16, Paul says this, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So Paul wanted to proclaim grace. Look at me, he's saying to those in Jerusalem. I'm an object of grace. There's more than enough grace for all of you, for all of you. If he could transform me, the chief of sinners, he can transform you. We see also that Paul was preserved by grace throughout Paul's whole ordeal throughout all of his ministry. It was grace that preserved him again and again and again. As he's traveling to Jerusalem, he is preserved by grace. The capture by Jews in Jerusalem, he's saved by a garrison of Romans. He's preserved by grace. The reaction to the proclamation of God's grace to the Gentiles, the mob begins to scream, away with this fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. The mob would have killed him, but we're told, actually, the true rendering is that the the, the soldiers from the barrack heaved him up on their shoulders away from the crowd so they couldn't get to him. This is grace preserving Paul. The mob is crying out. They're tearing their clothes. They're throwing dust in the air. But Paul is preserved. And God is using Gentiles to save and keep him safe. And he's under guard. Then the commander wants to find out what is it you said in Hebrew that I didn't understand that they're so upset about. What did you say to them? And so he orders Paul to be beaten. And Paul says, wait, can you beat me and put me in chains when I'm a Roman citizen? The commander stops and says, wait, I had to purchase mine. I'm a second class Roman citizen. And Paul says, well, I'm a first class one. I was born in Tarsus. I'm a free-born Roman citizen. Suddenly, the tables are turned. 
Paul is preserved by grace. Again, you see the preparation of grace, that Paul would be born in Tarsus of all places, that Paul would be a Roman citizenship, have Roman citizenship. Grace keeps you safe through all the ordeals that are in God's will. Grace will preserve you. When you are in the will of God, you will be preserved by grace. Next, we come to the peace of grace. Paul is completely composed throughout this whole time. He's not upset at the prophecies like, what? Trials? Are you kidding me? He cooperates with the brethren in Jerusalem. He does not fight against the attackers at the temple. He doesn't resist arrest. Paul is composed enough to request to speak to Jews, the Jews. And Paul calmly addresses them. He doesn't defend himself of the charges, saying, you're liars, it's not true, I'm innocent. You sense just this clear presentation of his testimony. Then he calmly presents his Roman citizenship to the commander. He doesn't say, you better stop it, I'm a Roman citizen. No, he just says, hey, is this all right to do? Do you want to think this out a little bit, you know, before you do this? It's just so calm. There's such a peace. There's such a peace upon Paul. Whenever Paul would write his epistles, he would always send these greetings. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Never once was it peace and grace. It was always grace and peace because the peace always follows the grace because the peace is impossible without the grace. If you don't have the grace, you won't feel the peace. If you don't have the grace, you won't have the peace. It's grace that brings us reconciliation to God. It's that, it's that grace that gives us access to the throne room of grace. Without grace, there can be no peace. I have learned to look for peace because peace is a huge sign to me that God's grace is with me. And when I don't feel that peace, I either go, get on my knees, and I pray for more grace if this is what God means for me, or I get out of the situation because I don't have grace. You know, if, if you can't be nice to the kids you're teaching in Sunday school, then you don't have grace, and that's not the ministry for you. Consider the convalescent home ministry. If you don't have the grace, then it's not for you because God's grace will be abundant for whatever he's called you to do. So we need to look for the peace. Am I feeling peace in this situation? Am I calm? Everybody else is afraid for me, but I'm calm because there is an unearthly peace that will settle on you when you are in the will of God. Finally, God's grace perseveres. Remember, Paul was not daunted, dissuaded, or deterred from God's will. He wasn't. He persevered through hardship. He persevered through warnings, through pleadings, through persecution, through arrest, through mobs. Paul was determined to proclaim the grace of God wherever God called him to do. And grace will cause you to persevere through everything to be an overcomer and victor in the call of God. Your circumstances might not 
be like Paul's. I hope they're not for your sake. Don't want to see any mobs around here, really. They might not be. But let me say this, that God has given you all the grace you need for your life and for the call on your life. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, Paul would write this, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you having all sufficiency, everything you need, emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, might have an abundance, an abundance for every good work. Today, you have enough grace. You have enough grace for everything that's going to come your way today. Now, sometimes we're asking for tomorrow's grace. Well, I'm feeling good about today, but what about tomorrow? Tomorrow, when you wake up, there will be enough grace because his mercies are new every morning. And mercy is, um, it's, it's got a tight relationship with grace. It's hard to separate the two. But tomorrow morning, when you wake up, there will be all new mercies and another huge load of grace coming your way for all that your life will entail all the will of the Lord. My friends who made it through those two years with their husbands not having work, my friend Linda said she couldn't look up ahead and say, what about next month? She had to just live each day at a time and she found that there was ample provision for each day. Even waking up and somebody leaving groceries on their front porch. There was enough grace. There's enough grace for today. And there will be enough grace for tomorrow. And the day after that, there will be a new portion of grace. But this is one I want to leave you with. There is enough grace for your life. There is more than sufficient amount. In fact, there's an abundance of grace for you. Jesus said to Paul what he says to us in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you or more than enough for you. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He had a a physical ailment. But God was saying, my grace is more than enough to cover this. There's more than enough grace. And you can drink as deeply of God's grace as you want to. You can have as much grace as you want. You can go, you can exceed your need for grace. The grace is there. There's an ocean of grace. But I want to ask you, what are you coming to the ocean of grace with? Are you coming with a teaspoon? He said, no, Cheryl, I got a tablespoon. Good for you. You come in with a, a ladle? You come in with an espresso cup? You come in with a mug? You come in with a teacup? Are you coming with a swimming pool? You come in with a lake? Or are you just diving in the ocean? I'll take it all. I want to dive into the ocean of grace today because it's more than sufficient not to live Paul's life, not to live Paul's call, not to live in the will that God ordained for Paul, but there's more than enough grace to live in the will of God for Cheryl Broderson and the will of God tailor-made for you. There's more than enough grace. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that you have given us ample grace, Lord. You have exceeded our need. Lord, just like the loaves and fish, Lord, you have not only sated our hunger, not only can we have as much as we want, not only can we be satisfied, but Lord, there are 12 
basket still remaining to keep eating, to keep partaking, to share with others of this amazing grace. Oh, Lord, I pray today that we would be partakers in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, that you, we would allow you to prepare us by your grace, to propel us by your grace. Lord, that you would make us proclaimers of grace. Lord, that we would be preserved by grace, feel your peace that comes with grace, and persevere in grace, Lord. Thank you for the abundance of grace that you have given us in Jesus' name. Amen. There is more than enough grace to live in the will of God. God's grace prepares us for His will, propels us, is proclaimed through God's will. It preserves us, gives us peace, and perseveres to accomplish God's will. God's grace is enough for you today. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study with Cheryl Broderson. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is The Power of Grace. Once again, our website is graciouswords.com and our toll-free number is 1-800-733-6443. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will begin her teaching in Acts chapter 23 and 24 with part one of her message entitled, Be of Good Cheer. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.